Welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. I am your host, Kim McCall. If you want to find out more about life beyond the physical dimension, this is the place to be. We will be having conversations to expand your consciousness and help you reconnect with your essential self. But given the subject matters a request, don't believe in anything, including what is shared here. Experiment, have your own experiences, and always use discernment. Welcome to episode four, where we're talking everything out-of-body travel. My guest today is Robert Peterson, a prolific out-of-body explorer and author of books such as Out-of-Body Experiences, How to Have Them and What to Expect, Lessons Out of the Body, a Journal of Spiritual Growth and Out-of-Body Travel, Answers Within, How to Use Your Inner Voice for Wisdom, Spirituality and Psychic Awareness, and his most recent, published earlier this year, Hacking the Out-of-Body Experience, Leveraging Signs to Induce OBEs. As well as being an OBE explorer, Bob is a really scientific guy. He's a computer analyst, and he brings critical analytical skills to his own experiences and to the whole OBE phenomena. So if you're into this topic, it's a must-listen. We will cover his vast, extensive knowledge about the OBE literature, what he thinks happens when we leave the body, the kind of things that we can experience as we are leaving, the kind of sensations that sometimes might put us off and why they're normal. And finally, what it all means. What's the point? Why should we leave the body? I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Bob, welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. It is lovely to have you on today. Hi, Kim. Great to be here. Um, We're going to talk everything out-of-body experience today and uh, definitely want to dive into your book, Hacking the Out-of-Body Experience. But to start with, maybe we could just make sure listeners know what we're talking about and um, if you could... Tell us a bit about the different definitions or how you use it, the words out-of-body experience, dreaming, and lucid dreaming, and how they relate to each other. Okay, yeah. Um, well, as I see it, um, well, most uh, out-of-body experiencers who, who've gone into this in any depth um, agree that we leave our bodies or we have an out-of-body experience or um, a dissociative experience every night. And it's just that we don't remember it, um, right? We're not conscious, so we don't remember it. But I tend to break down those dissociative experiences into four categories, basically, um, depending on whether or not you're conscious and whether or not you're hallucinating. Because what the way I see it, when you're, um, if you're uh, unconscious and you're hallucinating, it's a self-created hallucination, I call that a regular dream. Okay, so dreams I would consider kind of a form of -of out-of-body experience, but you have no idea that you're, you know, in an out-of-body experience and you're completely absorbed in this self-created hallucination that we call a dream. Um, If you be... Sorry, I was just curious when you said you're unconscious and hallucinating. Yeah. Um, How do you... So, because when I think of unconscious, like there's nothing. There's nothing there, but I'm, I'm, you know, passed out sort of thing. But you're saying you're unconscious and hallucinating. So could you just unpick that distinction a little bit? Well, I mean, what I mean to say is that you don't have lucidity. You don't have your full waking conscious awareness with you. Yeah. Um, so you're, it's, it's not that you're completely out like a light, like a light bulb is out. It's just that you don't have, you don't, it's not a conscious experience. It's an unconscious it's a. It's not a self-aware um, yeah. state. It's like happening um, to you. Yeah, um, and then the. So if you gain lucidity and you gain conscious awareness in that state, that's a lucid dream, right? So you're conscious and awake and aware, and you realize fully that you're in this experience. You realize you're dreaming, um, and you're conscious, and and you you know what's going on, and it's just like you're waking. Um, awareness, but you're still trapped inside that hallucination of the dream. And so you're still in this dream world, and that's a lucid dream. Um, 
And then on the other side of the equation, if you dispel the hallucination um, and you remain conscious, then it's an out-of-body experience. So I define an out-of-body experience as an experience in which you seem to have 100% of your conscious awareness outside your physical body. In other words, your physical body is just another inanimate object in the room. Um, and then, of course, there's a fourth quadrant, too, and that is if you're uh, unconscious and you don't have that conscious waking awareness, but you're outside of that hallucination, then that's what they call a shared dream. And that is where, you know, multiple people can be inside and just, just uh, inside the, you know, in a dreaming state. And mm -hmm. they describe the same physical, you know, they're, they're two people who are standing at the Golden Gate Bridge. They both see a dolphin jump in the water or something like that. And they both describe the same thing in the morning. But they were clearly not conscious and aware that it was happening at the time. But they both described that strange same dream. Um, that's that's what I would call a shared dream, and there are um, some reports of that, although it's not real common in the literature. Mm. Um, so anyway, I've got kind of a, a four quadrant diagram that I use to to, to map that out, and depending on your awareness and and all of that. And so that's what I define as an out of body experience. It's it's a conscious experience, yes. and you don't seem to be hallucinating at all. It seems to be that you're experiencing some kind of other reality some other form of reality i'm not saying that it has any relationship with our current physical reality although some evidence there's some evidence to suggest it does and some to suggest it doesn't um but it does seem to be um more um stable and 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 not a hallucination in a, in a lucid dream you can dispel the hallucination and find yourself out of body and then once you see the difference between the two, you can tell that, oh, yeah, you know, this is only a hallucination and I'm not hallucinating anymore. So just as you realize right now that you're not dreaming, um, you would realize in an out-of-body state that you're not dreaming as well. Mm. And I think you touched there on something that, that uh, in, your, in your book, Hacking the Out-of-Body Experience, you, you emphasize it on a few, at a few um, spots that we can transition from a lucid dream into an out-of-body state by becoming aware of, of the hallucination, as you say. Yeah, and that's, that's probably the easiest way to induce an out-of-body experience is through the lucid dreaming state. Um, there are a lot of books out there on how to lucid dream and a lot of little um, tips and t techniques that, you know, little, little things like uh, questioning your reality all the time and, and all of that and doing reality checks um, and reminders ask yourself, you know, am I dreaming, that kind of thing throughout the day. And then you find that your daytime habits carry into your nighttime habits, and you end up at some point asking yourself in a dream, am I dreaming? And then you realize, yes, I, in fact, I am dreaming, and I know this is a dream. And then, uh, for example, I've, I've had many lucid dreams. I, I'm not, I don't consider myself real good at lucid dreaming because I've had a lot more out-of-bodies than lucid dreams. But with lucid dreaming, you, you, realize that you're dreaming or whatever and then with a with a conscious act of will you basically dispel you basically tell yourself to wake up from that hallucination and that hallucination just that that whole dream world that you were in just dissolves and and into nothingness and you find yourself usually floating above your physical body and you know, in your bedroom and, and all of that um, mm. um. Now, today you are a prolific author, um, you know, you, on this topic. You've written a number of books on this topic. You're a blogger. Um, you, you are very uh, um, active in the space of, if people don't know, on Facebook, there are quite a number of groups um, that deal with out-of-body travel, astral projection, and uh, you'll quite often find Bob contributing, commenting, answering recurring questions. But obviously, it wasn't always like that. Uh, at some point, this all started for you. And could you just give people a bit of a sense of how, how did you get into this? Because this is not a very common thing for people to get into. <laughs> yeah, I never um, really expected to get into this topic myself. Um, it, it all goes back to 1979. And I had just uh, graduated from high school and was starting, uh, it was uh, just starting college, basically. 
And my brother, Joe, knew that my dad had an interest in like Edgar Casey and some other things like that. And so Joe gave my dad a book, uh, the, the book Journeys Out of the Body by Robert Monroe. And uh, the, Robert Monroe ended up starting the Monroe Institute and exploring all kinds of states of consciousness. But anyway, uh, when my dad was done reading the book, I asked him if I could borrow it because I was intrigued. And I had kind of remembered, you know, in my childhood, somebody mentioning astral projection. And I thought, oh, this is kind of intriguing. I want to know more about it. So I read this book. And I was a very scientific, skeptical kind of guy at the time. And, and I still really am. I still am very science-minded. Um, but Robert Monroe didn't say to take him at his word. He had all of these outlandish stories about, you know, traveling in his spirit body to different locations and this and that. And as outlandish as they were, he said, don't take my word for it. Try it yourself. And in his book, he gives a uh, technique, um, well, the lines of force technique, which I, I give in the new book. Yes. Um, and the uh uh he basically it's a it's a way of um slowing down your your mind and uh uh you know basically doing some visualizations and such and i thought you know any good scientist you know um doesn't dismiss things out of hand um they you have to keep an open mind to be a good scientist and so i thought well i'll give him the benefit of the doubt and try it myself and much to my um great surprise um, I got immediate results. And what happened is I, I followed Monroe's directions to the letter. And I probably was at this for more than an hour, um, trying to get my mind completely still and get my body completely relaxed and all of that. And um, I was visualizing these lines of force. And all of a sudden, I felt kind of a twang in my head. And it's like, oh, and it, it startled me. It's like, what's that? What just happened to me? That, that something's not right. And so I immediately tried to work my way back to physical conscious awareness again, back back to my physical body. But it seemed to me that these lines of force I had been imagining had become real somehow, and it pulled this energy into my body, which is very strange sounding mm. uh, to any normal sane person. But then uh, these, <laughs> these electrical vibrations swept into my body, and I quite literally felt like I was being electrocuted. And, and it sounds very scary and shocking and it was very scary and shocking um but um so it felt like my entire body was being electrocuted and i started um wildly uh thrashing trying to regain control of my body but what i found was that my physical body was completely paralyzed i had gone into sleep paralysis mm. so i couldn't move my body and then i i really panicked and i i lost it and started thrashing wildly and i eventually regained control of my physical body Body and and uh, I was just completely blown away by the um, depth of the reality of it. I mean, how how real it felt and how um, just how palpable it was. It was a very um, intense experience. This wasn't a you know something that you're imagining or whatever. It was you know it felt very very real and scary yes. at the time. Um, now, for anyone who's out there who has aspirations of of doing this themselves. I should also uh, mention that the vibrations are something that smooth out and get more um, better over time. And subsequently, uh, each time I had an out-of-body experience, they seemed to get smoother and smoother. And um, after so many years, I didn't really even feel them anymore. I barely feel them at all. And in fact, to some people, the vibrations can be quite pleasurable. Um, author Nancy Trivolato of the IAC um, has a book on the vibrations. The, the entire book is about the vibrations and it's a very big book. And she describes the, uh, the vibrations as being um, similar to orgasm, being very pleasurable um, and uh, something that's desirable. So it's not always scary. But so anyway, once, once, uh, once I, uh, sorry, <laughs> I didn't, didn't want to interrupt you, but um, I was just going to continue that. Once I uh, had experienced the vibrations, I, I didn't really leave my body that time, but I was hooked because now as a scientist, I, I felt like I had touched on something that was unknown to the world of science, and I felt obligated to explore it further. And having read books like Monroe's, I knew that I couldn't believe what other people wrote about it unless I experienced it myself, right? Because 
you know, experience Trump's belief and Trump's faith. Absolutely. And so I, I figured, you know, there's probably a lot of um, misinformation floating around and everything. And so I started um, collecting books on the subject. I started reading them all voraciously. I started trying to practice uh, all the different techniques and all the different books. And uh, Monroe's technique didn't work for me a second time, unfortunately. But oh. I started learning other techniques and finally developed my own. And uh, so that's that's where I came from as um, I, it's still a very um, uh, intriguing topic to me. It always has been. It always will be. And uh, it's a very real experience that, that is, is reported throughout time and in every culture, regardless of religions and belief systems and everything else. So it's a universal uh, phenomenon. Yes, absolutely. And, and that really, um, you know, as an anthropologist myself, that that universal aspect of it across cultures has always really fascinated me and and appealed to me. And it, look, there's so much in what you just shared. You know, the 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 electricity um, that that sense, those sensations are, are so powerful. And as you say, they can be scary. And I will want to. I do want to come back to those um, later. Uh, and the Monroe book you mentioned, I think you know, that's a real classic in the out of body literature. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder whether it helped you. I only, I only came across that book quite late in my own sort of studies around around this topic. But um, he talks about how he himself went through this process of thinking he was going crazy and seeing, even going to the extent of seeing a, a psychiatrist to be, have himself evaluated because he wanted to make sure that these experiences didn't reflect on his sanity in some way. Um, and I. I I guess was that somehow comforting for you to have someone else who'd taken that path, so you at least knew that what you were experiencing was something to expect and not something to be too scared about. Yeah, absolutely. It, it helped uh, that Monroe had written that book, and I, I read uh, a whole bunch of different books after that point. It, of course, that was back in 1979, so there weren't a lot of books on the subject. There was uh, Sylvan Muldoon had written some books on the subject, um, some of which were very hard to find. Um, and then a guy, a Frenchman by who went under the pen name Eram, and uh, uh, Oliver Fox was another guy who wrote under a pen name. And so th anyway, there were just a few books on the subject at the time. And I read these, and to me, it, it kind of struck me that some of these people were um, coming at it, I don't know, it, it seemed like, like they had a whole bunch of superstitions and, and what they wrote about didn't always match what I had experienced. And for example, you know, some of these books that are out there, they say that, you know, all you have to do to manifest something is to think about it or whatever. Or all you have to do to travel to a location is think about it. Yeah. Well, I would do experiments where I would, you know, think about my, my friend, Lisa or somebody, and I wouldn't go anywhere. And I had all, all these problems um, with my eyesight, and, and that really wasn't touched upon really much, except Sylvan mm. Muldoon did talk about it a little bit. But I, as, as I got more and more experience, what I found is that um, there were a whole bunch of things that I considered misinformation, and um, maybe superstition is even a better word, um, things that people thought about the experience that um, didn't make sense to me. And I, I thought it was probably. Um, my duty as, as kind of, a, again, a contributor of, to, of science or whatever to um, share with the world, you know, everything that I had found out about, you know, things like the eyesight in the, in the out-of-body state and, uh, you know, what, what touch perception is like there and, you know, all of these different things that I had encountered. What are, what are your, uh, you know, encounters with people like and, and animals and how does your, yes. you know, how does your mind, your, your mind work, you know, emotional versus analytical, that, those kind of things that aren't really talked about in other books. And I, I kind of thought it was my duty to report these things. And so what I did is I, I wrote the, this book, uh, the, my first book, um, Out of Body Experiences, How to Have Them and What to Expect. And it was published in 1997. Um, I wrote it in 19, well, I gave it to my publisher in 1995. And it was a collection of uh, different experiences and, and, you know, what I had found out about them. And uh, um, 
it uh, and, and I put it on my website in 1995. So I put it on my website for free mm. two years before it was actually available in print just to prove that I'm not in it for the money. So it's like, I want to share this information with the world. And I even asked my publisher, you know, gee, would it be okay for me to put this on my website? And they didn't even balk. They, they just kind of, they were pretty open-minded at the time. And they said, well, you know, it's your, it's you own the copyright to it. So it's, it's your decision to do something like that, but That's great. you know they're obviously trying to make money at it, and and uh, so anyway, what I found is that by putting it on my website, I um, made the information available all, all all over the world. So it wasn't just a book in the United States. It, they, I had people in Africa reading my book, um, and and sending me emails and stuff, and and that to me was very rewarding because I felt like I was helping people, and that to me is the uh, reward for it. Mm. Yeah, and you, I really that really comes across in in your whole approach um, to this to this subject matter. You know, a researcher trying to make information available to anybody who's trying to explore this. And so, one of the things that I've really appreciated, and I feel people should know, because is, is your your book reviews. Because if um, today, as you said, in the seventies, there weren't many books about it. Today, if you want to look at this topic, you can be overwhelmed by the amount of books um, that you can find. And so, if you are listening to this and you want to find out more about out-of-body travel, uh, Bob has taken a lot of work of your hand by reading many, many books and put uh, reviews online for you to to look at. And there's going to be a link to his reviews uh, in the in the information next to this show. But um, I suppose I'd be curious uh, if you could just give us briefly a bit of a summary when you're reading books on OBEs, the kind of things that you're looking for, uh, whether there's any, any alarm bells that you have or any kind of measures that you have as to whether something seems authentic or not, because as we've talked about, there is a whole vast sort of information that some of it maybe is misinformation or misunderstandings. And, uh, and also just a sense of sort of commonalities that you've come across in reading all these books. Yeah, well, there's a, a great um, variety of different out-of-body books out there. I've, I've amassed a collection of well more than 200 books on it, probably up to 250 books on it now. And that's um, just books on out-of-body experience that doesn't, and, and astral projection. That does not include peripheral topics like um, uh, near-death experiences or... Um, lucid dreaming or altered states of consciousness or remote viewing or any of that. That's just out-of-body books. And what I found is, yeah, in the, in the more recent years, and like in the last 10 years, um, there's been almost an exponential growth in the number of OBE books out there. Um, but usually just reading the book, you can tell whether or not the book that, that the author is coming from a, a, a place of experience or not, just by the way they describe things. Um, sometimes you know, like one of my, my favorite examples is um, one, of, one of the books um, uh, that I read, he, he described out-of-body experiences as having uh, like a, I forget how he worded it, he said something like a delicious eeriness, that it, that it was kind of a delicious eeriness to the, to the uh, experience. And I thought, this guy really gets it. He's been there because nobody who you know, unless you've actually had an out-of-body experience, you wouldn't come to think of those words to, to describe an experience. So I look for things like that. Um, there's a lot of books out there that just try and, and uh, teach the techniques um, that basically, I think there's a lot of authors that are out there that are just trying to, you know, maybe they, they've had out-of-body experiences since they were really young and they don't know how to do it themselves, but they describe some of their experiences and then they they say, oh, this is you know how to do it or whatever. And um, part of it, I don't know. It, it's it's hard to describe, but but you can tell authentic um, experiences from non unauthentic ones or inauthentic. Um, I I prefer books that have um, narratives, OBE narratives, where they talk about their experiences. And I one of the reasons that Robert Monroe's first book really resonated with me is that. He described both his experiences and his, you know, process of astonishment of, you know, how is this happening? And, you know, do I need to see a psychiatrist or do I need to consult with a doctor? I mean, he yes. was a, a, a somewhat 
uh, he was a, a business executive. He had started his own businesses and stuff. And so he, he had a, a little bit of money squirreled away. And so he knew, and he knew people in, you know, he knew professional doctors and psychiatrists and stuff. So he'd go to his buddies and he'd say, you know, give me your honest opinion about this stuff. And I really appreciate um, books that come on, um, come at it from that um, degree of honesty and, and upfrontness about it that, you know, no, you're not going crazy. This is really what's happening. And I, I really don't like, you know, some of these books come out as, as saying, oh, I'm the expert, I'm the master, and you're the student. And, you know, through my years of mastery, I've got all this, you know, these special secret techniques or whatever. You know, come on, you know, this is, you know, we're all just students, we're all just learning, and we're all sharing, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I'm really turned off by arrogance. I think a lot of um, authors can get arrogant about uh, their experiences and, and what what you know where they've taken them and uh you know it's i I think a lot of the the thing is is transcending your own ego just to get there in the first place Mm. yeah and um i guess that that uh leads me then to your to your most recent book because uh, my sense is that that's really a drawing on both your own experiences but also your many years of studying the topic. Um, so if you'd like to say a little bit about, you know, what you put into that and um, maybe because really it's practical, right? And it's, it's a practical how to manual. You want to have an out of body experience, read hacking the out of body experience and you'll find all the different tools. And uh, I have to say in reading it, I really uh, appreciated how accessible it is. The language is very accessible. It's very easy to read. Chapters are nice and succinct, so you have a topic and you can read through it in just a few minutes and you, you come away with you know, some other understanding. And I'm also, I have to say, I've been reading it over the last few days and my nightlife has been quite interesting. I, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I automatically start thinking about how many REM cycles I've had because I just read about that um, the day <laughs> before. I, I haven't read an OB book for a long time, uh, I have to say. And so, uh, you know, I was triggered into lucid dreaming. I had a couple of lucid dreams these last few nights, which I also don't have that often. So it's been, yeah, it's really been really interesting. And I feel the practicality of it is partly what's, what's making that and the accessibility is what's making that kind of have that impact on me. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. Um, so really... Um what prompted me to write this latest book, Hacking the Out-of-Body Experience, is that at, at some point I realized that it had been 20 years since my first book had been published. And I mean, I, I titled the, the first book, you know, Out-of-Body Experiences, How to Have Them and What to Expect. And um, I gave what I thought was quite um, good techniques. And there, there's an exercise at the end of every chapter um, and I thought it was, you know, pretty decent information on how to induce the experience. But what I found is that on, on these Facebook groups, I found a lot of people saying, well, I've tried this and I've tried that and I've, I've tried Monroe and I've tried uh, Robert Bruce and I've tried Robert Peterson and all this and, and nothing works. And I, I got to thinking that, you know, um, maybe my uh, instructions weren't good enough. And um, there's a whole lot of other information out there about um, the inducing out-of-body experiences. So my, my whole goal in this latest book was to make out-of-body experiences more accessible to everyone and to basically provide enough text techniques and tools um, so that anyone can actually do it. And I try and give scientific um, uh, basis for all of these techniques and what you're actually trying to accomplish. So what I found a lot in, on a lot of these OBE books, they have very vague um, instructions. They say, well, you're trying to do this or whatever, but they don't explain, you know, how it's supposed to work and mm. what you're supposed to be doing. And so a lot of people still are left with questions and they don't, you know, and especially a lot of these uh, books are, you know, uh, 50 pages long and, and they contain two pages of technique and, it, it, you know, it, it's not enough. Um, it's a very complex subject. And um, what I've found is, I mean, I, 
there are a lot of other books that are out there that give very interesting out-of-body experiences. And um, uh, for example, um, one of my favorite, as a matter of fact, my favorite OBE book of all time is Jürgen Zive's uh, Multidimensional Man. Yes. He gives all kinds of fabulous um, uh, stories in that book, narratives in that, but he, he doesn't have very many techniques. Um, but this uh, book, Hacking the Out-of-Body Experience, I wanted to give advice from uh, all of the experts in the field. So basically, I tried to amass the, you know, the, the collected wisdom of all of the authors out there of all these books that I've read um, and say, okay, well, you know, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is how you do it. And I, I give the different approaches. So I give a visualization approach and an auditory imagination approach and a tactile imagination approach. Yeah. And for each of those approaches, I, I basically say, okay, well, here's what Robert Bruce says about this subject. And here's what, you know, Robert Monroe says about it. And here's what Sylvan Muldoon says about it. And I'm trying to break that down and say, okay, well, here, from a scientific point of view, this is what we're trying to accomplish and why. And this is what the different experts on the topic have said. And so I, I tried to give as many of those um, bits and pieces of advice as I could. Um, so I've got, uh, I haven't actually counted, but I know there's more than 50 out-of-body techniques in the book. Um, and uh, uh, I go into all kinds of different um, direct techniques, which is where you, you lie down and try to induce it from a conscious state. Uh, indirect techniques where you um, basically are, are uh, convincing or control, cajoling your uh, subconscious into allowing it to happen. And uh, the lucid dreaming, uh, the, you know, trying to get there from a lucid dream. And then also uh, things, simple things like diet and exercise and, mm. you know, the, uh, their, the different supplements. And the supplement section was uh, interesting, yeah. Yeah. And so I tried to give a, a really a whole, um, the, the whole book is geared toward in helping you induce out-of-body experiences. And it turned out to be a lot bigger than I had planned. I, I was kind of surprised when I got my first uh, proof in the mail. It was like 350 pages long. It's like, <laughs> whoa, I had no idea that it was that big. I mean, looking at my word, you know, my word processor, it's like, okay, this, you know, let's go to this chapter or whatever. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of information out there. But there aren't really any stories in the new book. Well, very few anyway. And uh, uh, it's, it's, there's no history, well, very little history anyway. But it's all geared toward trying to get people out of body. And the reason I did that is because I am very active in Facebook and all of these astral projection groups. And um, I see people asking, how do I do this? I'm, I'm new to astral projection. Can you guide me how to do it? Um, I'm looking at the question right here on, on Facebook as we speak. Um, and it's just something that people really want to know. Yes. And uh, so I'm trying to make the experience more accessible and not just to, you know, people who are, you know, on a, a spiritual path like a shaman or, or whatever, um, but also, you know, the, the common layman and people who are more science-oriented who also want to um, study the phenomenon. Hmm. And I wonder with that science focus, because the book is definitely uh, has that emphasis, you know, you do this and you do that and something could happen. And if it doesn't happen, well, do this and do that, you know, kind of guiding the person on, always try try the other thing. Yep. Um, but I had the sense that you uh, kind of reserve judgment, so to speak, about what actually happens in the, in the OB, whether... And in particular, whether we are leaving the physical body in another body or whether there's some other process happening. Uh, that's one thing I've noticed. And also, I think, I might be wrong, but I, I, I didn't really notice many mentions to um, assistants, helpers, non-physical people that uh, might get involved and in, which certainly in my experience were very active in assisting me in having these experiences. I'm curious whether that's partly to do with wanting to keep as much of a scientific line as possible or whether that reflects, you know, areas where you actually feel like, you know, you, you haven't quite come down one side or the other about what actually happens there. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, science oriented. I mean, I, I'm the kind of guy who, um, if you tell me that something happened, um, 
that's outlandish, like like an out-of-body experience. For example, uh, you know, 20, 20, 40 years ago, I would have thought that was very outlandish. But if, if anyone says, well, this strange thing happened to me, um, I tend to be very skeptical about those things and science-minded. And, and um, for example, I've, I've been in many, many ghost investigations and in, in haunted places. I, I try and remain um, skeptical in, in all of my interactions. And um, I even, but, but even as I say that, I've had enough stuff happen to me that I can't deny that there's stuff out there. Um, I've uh, uh, definitely, um, when, when you're having an out-of-body experience, um, it uh, definitely feels very real. It feels like you are in a separate reality and it feels like you are in a, a separate uh, body. Um, people describe it as an astral body or whatever. And that's certainly what it feels like. Um, but, uh, you know, nobody really knows what consciousness is and mm. nobody really knows where its source is. But um, I've done enough studies in that and seen enough stuff that um, I certainly believe in a non-physical component to it. Um, I tend to not think so much in terms of like a, a non-physical body or an astral body or a, a psychosoma or whatever you want to call it from the IAC uh, terms. Um, but I, I tend to more think in terms of just an experience itself because I, I think that um, we, even not, even when we're in the body, um, what we're experiencing, I think, is far different from what reality is because we're always seeing everything through the filter of our, our consciousness and through our, our the filter of our brains and um, our minds. Yes. And in my, in my experience, yeah, I've had a lot of experiences. I've seen a lot of, um, I've had OBEs in which I've seen spirits and helpers and these non-physical voices. Um, and uh, they're always very helpful. And yeah, a lot of people describe helpers uh, helping them out of body and all of that. Um, but I wanted to keep that mostly out of my book because I wanted to stay grounded in science. Um, and that's, uh, I figure if I want to go off on um, more experiential stuff um, and uh, stuff from my own OBEs, I mean, I kind of already did that in the first book. Yeah. Uh, and I've since then I've accumulated, you know, 40 years of experiences and I'm kind of reserving that for a, a later book if I decide to do that. I've, I've, I've been working on other books and that, but nothing uh, in the immediate future anyway. Um, but uh, I do enjoy reading the, the OBE books and the narratives. And uh, matter of fact, I was just reading one um, the other day uh, where a guy was, was, was talking about an OBE in which he um, finds himself uh, flying in some unknown location. He's flying, you know, in, in an out-of-body state, and he looks down at his arms, and, and he can tell that he's, his, you know, so there, there's another helper there beside him holding on to his hand, yes. and it's like he's, he's being guided and taken somewhere by this non-physical helper, and so he's like, um, he tries to engage the non-physical helper in, in uh, uh, conversation. He says, oh, oh, you know, what are you doing here, and, you know, where are we going, and all of this, and the, the non-physical helper basically, you know, snubs him, basically says, well, you know, I'm not here to answer questions. I'm here to take you somewhere. And it's like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And it really kind of matches my experience, too, because a lot of times in my OBEs, when I get help from an uh, assistant, a non-physical assistant, I can almost never see them. They're almost mm -hmm. always, I call them the invisible helpers because I'll, I can hear them, but I never... I, pretty much never see them. And if I do see them, it's more as like a, an energy, an awareness of their energy. It's not like I'm seeing an astral body. And so my, uh, I tend to be kind of skeptical when I hear claims about, you know, uh, different, the ways that different things, you know, people can manifest uh, on the out-of-body state and that, um, that, that whole experience that it, from that book I just read of, of the guy holding hands and all of that and engaging him in conversation, that, that lended a lot of uh, air of authenticity because that kind of matches, you know, a lot of what's happened to me too is, is I, there are helpers there, but they seem pretty standoffish. They, yes. they don't want to engage you directly a lot, but they're there to assist. They're there to help you. And if you ask for their help, they're more than happy to help. Um, They'll uh, lend a hand all you want, but you have to actually ask for the help. 
And uh, so anyway, yeah, that's, uh, I'm kind of babbling there, but that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I like what you, that, how you describe that, that different etiquette in a way of, of personal interaction. There seems to be a, uh, the, the, the ways that we interact, having you know little conversations, don't often don't seem to be reciprocated by um, by people on the other side. Yeah, and and a lot of times, you know, my my experiences, I'll I'll find myself in some kind of a, a an office or boardroom or whatever, and see people, you know, sitting in chairs and all of this. A lot of times, I seem to be in more physical locations and seeing people doing physical things. Um, although it's hard to say whether they're actually astral environments, non-physical environments, or if they're someplace, you know, in the physical world or a facsimile of the physical world on the other side or what exactly they are. And that almost seems separate from these invisible helpers that I'm talking about. But um, one thing about my out-of-body experiences is I've spent um, many, many years just studying the process of leaving the body. And so, you know, I, you know, when you become a pilot, for example, people, you know, you, you get in a plane and you do, you, you do takeoffs and touchdowns. So you take off and land and you take oh, off and you yeah. land and you take off and land just to get the process down. And that's a lot of what I've done with my OBEs is I've studied the process of leaving the body and coming back and leaving the body and coming back. And my interactions are not nearly um, as exotic as, say, somebody like Jürgen Zibe. Um, yeah. And his multidimensional man. Um, I've had my fair share of very exotic experiences, and uh, some of which I've shared in the first book. Um, but uh, yeah, so, but I've, I've more focused on the actual process of trying to induce them. And so, would you say it's so one of the things I was going to ask you is what do you consider the, the benefits? You know, why would a person pursue out of body travel? And one of the benefits that our people often talk about is that it takes away your fear of death because you you become familiar with what happens, the process of death. This is assuming that what happens at death is like an OBE, we leave the physical body. And when you describe what you just said, that you leave the body and come back and leave the body, I imagine that you would feel very comfortable with that process now. It's a very familiar process. Would, would you say that's been one of the benefits and, and anything else that you feel <laughs> it's given you in your life? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, um, I, I think there are a lot of benefits. Um, for one thing, I, I, uh, I firmly believe that um, all of mankind's, all of humankind's beliefs in life after death are the result of someone's out-of-body experience, whether or not it's a near-death experience that happened 2,000 years ago and somebody taught it to somebody else or whatever. But I think... Uh, all of our beliefs about the, the after-death state come from OBEs. And I think that it's always better to have direct experience than, you know, first-hand experience always is better than second- or third-hand reports. Yes. And as I said earlier, I, I, I believe that experience trumps faith and, and it, it, you know, trumps belief. And yeah. I think that uh, if, if we can have um, people who induce their own out-of-body states and they can see for themselves that we are all just, you know, the same consciousness, for example, um, there's a lot to be gained from that. For, for example, uh, maybe we can stop all of the religious bickering and fighting and holy wars and, and that, um, fighting about, you know, the Bible says this, the Koran says that, the Bhagavad Gita says this, and, mm. you know, maybe, maybe we can agree that this is a universal experience and we can agree upon what it is and where people go after they die. And if that is the case, think of the, the kind of world peace that that could generate, right? People could yes, agree. People could, um, one of my, one of my <laughs> aspirations is that this, this experience can teach people to grow beyond their limited thinking. And they can become more aware and and see each other not as uh, see each other as interconnected. For example, you're out of body. When you're out of body, you realize firsthand that you are just a consciousness, right? You're you're a, a soul. You're not a physical body. You don't identify with that physical body. So yes. you tend to think less in terms of I'm hungry and more in terms of my physical body is hungry, it needs nourishment, whatever, but that's not you. 
you see another, uh, uh, you see a person, uh, let's say you see a, a, a black man or an Indian man or some other, you know, a Chinese man, whatever, you don't automatically have those prejudices because you know that you are just a consciousness, they're just a consciousness, and the fact that they're black or white or Hispanic or whatever is just, um, it's ridiculous. They're, you're, you're as much consciousness as they are consciousness. There's, there's no difference, really. Mm-hmm. And so you, you learn to see beyond those physical appearances. And uh, even the same uh, physical appearance of, of female versus male, you, you tend to see people you know, you don't see women as objects, you see them as other consciousnesses. So I think that the whole out of body thing is very mind expanding. And it, it, there's a lot to be learned from it a lot to be gained. Um, I think uh, it can teach us where we're going uh, after we die. Um, and I mean, a lot of people, they, they don't care where they're going after they die, or if, if they die, they believe that they're going to heaven or hell or whatever, and they put that thought out of their mind. They, they mm-hmm. completely ignore the thought of what, what happens when I die until, that, until they're faced with that very real you know, end-of-life scenario. They have cancer, they're in a hospital bed or whatever, they've got hours to live, and then they get scared because they don't know mm. uh, what's going to happen beyond death. And I think you're right in, when you said, Kim, that um, it'll teach us to, to not fear death, because fearing, because death is just another transition from one state of conscious awareness to another, and if you leave that physical body behind, that's just you know another object in the room, whatever, and it's not this huge tragedy that that some people see it as. Um, so I think I do think there's a lot to be learned and gained from it spiritually, and I think it can take us to spiritual places where faith and and belief can't. Yes. Yep. No, I mean those are those are really big big shifts in consciousness seeing everybody as as equal as an equal consciousness and then knowing that we'll survive death that would transform the world if if that became common consciousness for sure absolutely Hmm. um i want to go back to something practical that goes to what you you started off with and that's the energy um that often is experienced in out-of-body states and i uh, one of the posts, uh, I have a blog post about the third eye and, and feeling. Now, I've since I started meditating back in the 90s and, and started becoming interested in this, I've pretty much always felt a pulsation around the third eye chakra, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes more, sometimes less, but it's, it's sort of become a, a common presence. And uh, in my, this, the blog post that I wrote about that has received the most comments from anything on my blog, which suggests that it's something that's quite, quite common among people that meditate and that are into these kinds of topics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I suppose I'm just curious on your take. So, so certain things that happen is those pulsation. Uh, sometimes it feels literally like a drill. Um, sometimes it's uh, when I'm lying down, if I, especially if I'm trying to do an OBE, uh, sometimes I do OBEs and I try and focus on that area of the third eye. It's kind of like an, seeing it like an exit. And I've had these experiences of these really bright lights that almost make me, almost always make me open my eyes because I think someone's come in and turned the light on and it's, nobody has. It's just happening in my, yeah. in my head or in my, well, on some other level. Um, so, yeah, I'd be curious if you have anything to say about, about that topic. Yeah, that's all, that all sounds very familiar to me. Um, uh, I remember when I was uh, first getting into this stuff and uh, my uh, brother Joe, um, the, the same brother who gave that Robert Monroe book to my dad. Um, I, I told him, you know, that I, I was starting to have these experiences. And um, I remember he, he held up his index finger to my third eye area um, between my eyebrows. And I felt a strange energy pull. And then again, I was very, uh, I was hooked and curious about that whole thing. And uh, a lot of people um, think that you, um, induce out-of-body experiences, you exit through one of the chakras. And the most common one would be the third eye chakra. And um, I do feel the same kind of energy pulsing. And um, uh, to me, uh, that, that you described earlier, um, mm-hmm. to me, it, it feels like there's uh, energy being pulled out of my third eye. And not just the third eye, but also um, out of my the temples and the side of my head. So a lot of times I'll feel energy coming straight out like this, uh, from the from both temples at the same time, and sometimes straight out of the third eye. Um, one of the 
techniques. There's a couple of authors that are out there. Um, one of them was a French author by the name of Akena. Um, she's uh, sadly passed on, but she was a, a, a big teacher in France of out-of-body techniques. And she uh, taught a, an OBE technique called the fire and the diamond. And basically, um, and there have been a couple of variants from other um, authors as well, but basically you, you focus first on one of your lower chakras, like um, the, the Dantian, which is below the belly button, just, just below the belly button, or the root chakra at the, at the base of the spine. And then you alternate from there to um, the third eye chakra. So you basically are gathering energy down below, and then you're um, trying to move it up to the third eye. Okay. And bouncing it back and forth and back and forth between what and and Akena called it the 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 fire is, is the root chakra, and the diamond is the third eye chakra. And mm. so that's why she called it the the fire and the diamond technique and you keep alternating between the two and you kind of build up a momentum between them, but, and then you project the energy out of your third eye. So, um, so just to be clear, it sounds a little bit like the, the, the vibrational states um, where you move the energy from the top of your head to your feet, which is one thing that the IAC teaches and which in fact uh, I, I talk people through in the first episode of this podcast, mm -hmm. but, but it sounds like it's a bit like that, but just more localized. So you really focus at the root chakra and then you bring you consciously move the energy up to your third eye and back down and up and down is that is that, that right that right yeah it's very very similar yeah, yeah with the with the iac uh their velo technique um basically you're imagining as i understand it that you're imagining um that you're inside inside some kind of an energy tube and you're oscillating the energy uh up and down through the all the way down to the base of your feet, all the way up to the top of your head, and back and forth, and you try and create this oscillation. And yeah, so it's a very similar concept, um, except yeah, with Akena's method with fire and diamond and uh, other ones that are similar, you're doing a very similar thing, and you're kind of trying to bounce the energy up and down, and getting um, that is almost a, a rocking motion. Yes. Um, with the with the velo technique, you're trying to induce what what they call the vibrational state, which is where you get the, these out of body vibrations sweeping into your body. Um, with fire and diamond, they I'm not sure if they really are after that um, vibration or if they're um, more focused on uh, one one of my um, primary techniques that I like to use is where I'm actually trying to build momentum, and so I'm actually trying to get a rocking sensation in my body. I'm, I feel like I'm rocking back and forth and back and forth. and I'm Without actually moving, moving your body, right? You're, you're not exactly, actually moving yeah. your body. You're trying to move your non-physical body. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm trying to imagine my conscious awareness as being like a liquid inside a bottle and it's sloshing back and forth and up and down that way. And uh, a lot of times it's, it's longitudinally like uh, in the velo technique. Um, but, but like I said, I, I tend to gain rather than the vibrations. Cause like I said, nowadays, I don't even notice the vibrations anymore. Well, that's not entirely true. I, I did notice them the other day, but, um, they were very mild, but no, on most OBEs, I don't even notice them anymore. And what I do notice, um, is more this rocking sensation back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And have you tried the fire and the diamond technique? Um, I have tried it, but uh, I haven't uh, actually, I didn't actually use, uh, have an OBE from that technique. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think the last sort of thing I, I thought we'd touch on today is, uh, there's a couple of things. So one is in your, in your second book that I've read, Lessons Out of the Body, you, you talk a lot about uh, guidance. And you have various chapters where you're following this inner voice. You talk about you're having these dialogues with this inner voice and you, yep. it's like you're gaining wisdom from that. So I was curious to hear a bit more about that and how you conceptualize that and if that's still a part of your, your life, uh, yeah. that inner voice. And, and just yeah. and the other thing after that, maybe I'm interested to hear a bit more about just the big lessons. You've probably touched a bit about, you know, how it impacted your life, but in terms of the fear of death and universalism and so on. But in terms of concepts like karma and purpose of life, whether there's anything like that where out-of-body travel, you know, gave you new insights. Um, 
Well, as far as the inner voice is concerned, yes, it's very much a big part of my life. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's okay. There's, there's a lot of complexity there, right? I mean, uh, the, the new book, Hacking the Out-of-Body Experience, I talk about the, an area of the brain called the, the right TPJ, the right-hand temporal parietal junction. And that um, is basically when you mess with that um, by one means or another, you can induce out-of-body states um, because you can because me- you mess with your sense of proprioception, which is what the what the body thinks of itself as as being spatially oriented and all of that. Yes. But it turns out that on the left-hand side, the left-hand TPJ um, is a middle is in the middle of a language communication area known to scientists as the Wernicke's area. And it has to do with translating mentalese into um, uh, words. Mm-hmm. And so basically, it's, a, it's a, one of these translation areas of the brain. And I find it very curious that when I started messing with out-of-body states and, and doing these uh, meditations, um, I started getting both OBEs and uh, got in touch with my inner voice. And... Um, with my inner voice, uh, what, what that tells me really is that I, I was stimulating perhaps both my left TPJ and the right TPJ, and that the inner voice is kind of based on that left TPJ. Right. Um, I actually had a lot of people ask me, well, you know, how do you how do I develop inner voice? And it's kind of a it's kind of a subtle thing. It's not nearly a, a, a big smack you on the head with a two by four thing like out of body states are. Um, but it's a very subtle thing, and it's gotten to the point now where my inner voice is is basically kind of automatic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I will catch myself conversing with my inner voice and not even realize it, and then and it's not unless I actually think about, well, what was I just doing? Oh, I was talking to my inner voice. That that you know is obvious to me. Um, so I wrote a, a my fourth book is called Answers Within, and it's basically the story. It's very much like my first book. Um, where it's kind of the story of how I got in touch with my inner voice and where it leads me. And um, again, because I'm kind of science or oriented, um, a kind of a sciencey kind of guy, um, it uh, inner voice is nothing more than talking, learning to talk to your own subconscious mind. And your subconscious mind, you're always in communication with that regardless. It's just that most people don't pay attention to it because um, well, one of the analogies I give is it's like trying to hear a whisper in a rock concert because yes, um, it's your your normal ordinary everyday thoughts tend to be very loud and um, they drown out everything else that's subtle that's going on. And so when you learn to quiet your mind and learn to pay attention, um, you can actually get in uh, get in touch with this other side of you, your subconscious mind. And what I've found is that your subconscious mind has access to all kinds of deep knowledge that you consciously don't have. And I believe that that depth goes very far. I think it goes way down the rabbit hole. So um, your you can talk to your inner voice. Your inner voice is basically your subconscious. Your subconscious is in touch with deeper levels where it'll have psychic information. I think pretty much all psychic information just comes from the subconscious. Hmm. And it's basically... Uh, what I do in my inner voice is I, I just translate these thoughts and, and things that come to me, um, and I basically kind of narrate them to myself. And it's kind of a strange process to um, to describe, but that's kind of what it is. It's kind of a translation of all these impressions that I'm getting from my subconscious. And I think it's, it's not very different from what a medium does um, when they claim to be talking to spirits or what other, uh, you know, what other people do. And I was very um, surprised to find uh, that there's a book, um, um, uh, I can't even remember the name of it now, but it's, it's, a, it's a book on, on what happens to the brain um, uh, during enlightenment experiences. Oh, yes. And uh, um, they basically, one of the things they found is that um, this getting in touch with your inner voice kind of is kind of a part of that whole deal. And I, I was kind of surprised to find their connection to that whole deal. So, yes, it is still very much a big part of my life um, right now, but it's not anything that I tend to share with people. And most of what it is is it's my own uh, spiritual lessons, um, things I'm supposed to be learning. 
Um, you asked about um, out-of-body experiences and where it's taken me. Um, that second book, um, well, first of all, the first book was very grounded. Um, and, and again, science It's basically reporting what I found in the out-of-body states and um, how I got there and all of that, the conclusions I could draw from that. And I tried to stay very grounded there. In Lessons Out of the Body, my second book, I tried to be more um, spiritual and where, where these um, OBEs can take you um, from a spiritual perspective, what you can learn from them. And so um, I've learned a lot of lessons uh, as far as um, I, what I believe personally is that we're all here to experience and to learn and to grow it consciously. And um, I believe that um, uh, this, this physical world is basically a kindergarten where people can, uh, you know, it's a playground where people get hurt and they, they scuff their knees and they, they cry and they have all these experiences, but they learn and they grow and they, they learn to relate to one another and you, you grow spiritually. So I think that's a good analogy as a playground. Yes. I, and and I, I tend to think of this earth as someplace that we come to learn lessons. And I think that those lessons are planned well ahead of our lifetime. We come here with an agenda of, okay, I want to know this. I want to learn this task and this task and this task. And we go through and, and I think that when we have those really hard times, it's because we're not learning what we're supposed to be learning. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the fish that's, that's uh, being dashed on the rocks instead of going with the flow. And I think if you go with the flow and you follow where your life plan is, is supposed to take you according to your higher self, I believe in a higher self. Um, and if you go with that flow and you go according to that plan, um, your life can be very smooth and easy. And I think part of that is, is learning as much as you can and, and being honest with yourself and helping others along the way. Um, one of the big, uh, one of the biggest life lessons that I ever learned is expectations because what I found is um, when I, I expected people to behave a certain way, I expected people to, you know, do this when I wanted that. And, yes. and I expected this and I expected that. And, you know, especially in interpersonal relationships, you know, uh, uh, girlfriends and wives and husbands and all of that, yep. um, you expect them to do a certain thing and they don't do it and you get all upset or whatever. But expectations are really um, uh, an enormous um, life lesson of mine and to, to learn to not have expectations. I think expectations are a big hurdle that we need to all get through and judgment. Um, anyway, there's, there's a lot of spiritual things that can be gained. And are my OBEs um, responsible for that? I don't know. It's hard to say. Are my inner voice, I think it's been a big part of that um, because my inner voice does give me um, – you know, it'll it'll give me a side commentary on things you know as I'm doing them, for example, which sounds kind of weird, but it's like, yeah, it's you know, you know, you're supposed to be doing something, or you know, you're you're fighting against yeah. something or whatever. And anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of my nickel tour. Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 awesome. And just before we finish up, just wanting to clarify, out of that inner voice and higher self, are they the same thing? No, like I said, I think inner voice is is your subconscious. That's talking, learning to talk to your subconscious. But I think your subconscious has direct access to your higher self. And I think there are several layers of higher self that go up and up and up until you finally, we all are connected to one another mm. um, as the highest self, which a lot of people would um, tend to call God or the, the source. Um, so I tend to think that we're all interconnected at some point. And um, uh, yeah, so that, I do think we're directly connected, but, but my inner voice is what I call talking to my subconscious, and my subconscious is talking to my higher self. And um, I've had experiences in which it seems like I've been the watcher or that, you know, a, a different level above this level of consciousness or whatever. So I, I know that we have multiple layers of conscious awareness. Yes. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so anyway, it's a very complex topic. Yeah, it is a complex topic, but it is a, it's a great topic and maybe one we can pick up on another, on another occasion. Um, today, we've got to wrap it up, but it was really lovely to have you, Bob. And yeah, like I said, it would be great to get you back on further down the track. Yeah, great. I'm glad you had me on, Kim. I really appreciate it. And uh, if anybody wants access to the uh, blog or 
um, the book reviews, um, they're on my, there's a, a, a link on my website, which is robertpeterson.org. Yep. And there'll be links to all of uh, Bob's material on the website for this podcast and all the information will follow, will follow at the end of this. All right. Thanks so much, Bob. Thanks, Kim. I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it with your friends to help others find it. The tune seeing us out is Axel Teslev's Akasha. Axel is a Finnish virtuoso who creates some awesome fusion music that is well worth checking out. You can find more information about today's guest, including any links to their work on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com. While you are there, check out my blog and my book, which you can purchase from any good bookstore if you want to show your love for the show. Finally, please get in touch. Whether you want to ask questions or simply share your experiences, I always love exchanging information, and that is what this is all about for me. Otherwise, you'll catch me when you tune in again. Until then, I'm sending you my very best energies.